Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David begins the season of Lent with a sermon on discipleship. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's listen. Uh, Well, as you heard, it is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and we've got a lot of good in store for you you throughout this season. Um, But before we start talking about that, I've got to share with you something that happened to me this week. Uh, You see, I went to Barnes & Noble, and I went to the cafe, and I was going to buy a coffee so that I could sip a coffee and browse books, because that is one of my very favorite activities to do. But when I got to that cafe, I noticed that there's a poster, and it was advertising a new type of cookie. Now, I wasn't planning on getting a cookie. I was planning to get a coffee. But I saw this particular type of cookie, and it very much surprised me. I took a picture of it so I could show you guys. It's a Lucky Charms cookie. Now, I didn't know really how I felt about that. A Lucky Charms cookie, because I've got to be honest with you, when I was a child, Lucky Charms was my very favorite cereal. And I've not had it for many, many years, because obviously I'm not a child anymore. But when I saw that, I thought, ooh, I kind of want to try it. Understanding that it may be the best or worst thing that I've ever had in my life. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I ordered a Lucky Charms cookie, and let's just say that my expectations didn't quite match the reality. Uh, I took a picture of how the actual cookie turned out. (laughs) What is that? Because that is not what was on the poster. Now, it did still taste pretty good, but, but that was not exactly what I was expecting. And I'm sure you have all had experiences where you go, okay, my expectations for what was going to happen did not match what actually happened. But you know what? In this situation, no regrets. I am so happy that I just kind of jumped in and said, let's just do it. I want to engage with this. This will make for a fun story, even if it doesn't work out. And sometimes you just have to do that. You have to to jump in and try something new. And that's what I'm encouraging all of you to do, and all who are watching online, I'm encouraging you to do that this season of Lent, to jump in and embrace this season, even if you've never done so before. I mean, maybe you've heard the term Lent, and you know a little bit about it, but it's not really meant anything to you. It hasn't caused you to change your behavior in any way or to engage in these next six weeks before Easter in any particular way. But for this year, for this season of Lent, I'm asking you to to jump in and embrace this journey because during this season, for the next 40 days, we are going to focus all of our energy on discipleship, as you can see up here. 40 days of discipleship. We want to learn What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Truly, truly, what does it mean on a practical day-to-day level to follow Jesus? That's where we're focusing our time and our energy throughout this season of Lent. And it's a journey that takes us to the cross, takes us to the grave, takes us to the empty tomb. Yes, Lent is a season of transformation. And my hope and prayer is that you will be transformed as we begin engaging in this topic and these scriptures over the next six weeks, so that by the time we arrive at Easter, you'll notice changes in you. You'll say, I'm different now 
because of what I chose to engage in, because of what we studied, and more importantly, because of what God was doing on your heart. So what does that look like for you, practically, to engage with Lent this year? Well, maybe it's, it's making a commitment to rereading the scriptures that we preach about on Sundays at home. Maybe it's just taking those scriptures that are on the back of your bulletin and reading them by yourself throughout the week. Maybe that's engagement. Or maybe it's saying, okay, for this season of Lent, I'm going to be there each and every week. I, want to, I don't want to miss anything when it comes to studying discipleship. So you, you might say, for the next six weeks, whether it's in person or catching up online, I'm going to try to embrace these scriptures and really get a full picture of what discipleship looks like. Well, whatever it means for you, my invitation is for us to jump in together and study what it means to follow Jesus. Now, we are studying a scripture of discipleship today, and our scripture begins um, with Jesus meeting with his disciples, meaning those 12 men who followed Jesus for three years. So this comes from the Gospel of Luke, and here's how our story begins. It says, Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? We take it for granted sometimes that these 12 disciples just always knew and understood who Jesus was, right? Because they were so close to Jesus. They're in the Bible. So we just kind of assume that they always got it, that they always knew on a fundamental level that Jesus was God's son sent for the salvation and redemption of the world. But they didn't. They didn't always know that. They had to learn that. And that learning was a progressive thing that happened in their lives as they learned who Jesus was. I mean, for instance, do you remember the story? It comes a chapter earlier when they're in a boat together and Jesus is sleeping. And then all of a sudden a, a giant storm comes in. It's so big that they think this little boat is going to be capsized. And so they wake Jesus up. You remember this story? They wake him up and say, what do we do? We are going to drown. And Jesus calms the winds, calms the waves, right? We remember this part. But do you remember then the disciples' reaction to Jesus calming the storm? We're told in Luke 8, verse 25, that in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You see that central question as the disciples are trying to figure out who Jesus is. They say, who is this? Because we thought we were following a person who could teach us more about God. Yeah, we respect, we trust Jesus. But Jesus can command the winds and the waves? Even nature itself? obeys Jesus, maybe Jesus is, is more than we first anticipated. Who is this? Well, I wonder, 2,000 years later, as, as Christians who are meeting and reading this story this morning, are we still asking this question? Who is God? 
I mean, I want you to think back to the time when you first began your journey of faith. Uh, Maybe that was a long, long time ago. Or maybe this is a new journey that you find yourself on. But regardless, something happened to start you on that journey. You knew enough about God to say, you know, I want to continue learning about God. I want to continue growing in this direction. I feel that God is doing something in my life. That's true for all of us because how else do we get started on this walk of faith? But then at some point, my guess is that God did something to surprise you. Where all of a sudden you said, wait, this is how God is? And you kind of ask yourself, well, who is this? I think we're still confronted with that question that the disciples wondered. What do I really know about God as we continue learning and growing really over the course of our lives uh, in our faith? Well, by the time this story comes around, Jesus asks his disciples point blank, who do you say that I am? Peter decides to answer for the whole group. Here's his answer. Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man, which is a title for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So who is Jesus? Well, Peter answers, that Jesus is God's Messiah. Now, we're going to explore that term in just a second, that term of Messiah. But first, I want us to notice what Peter did not say. Because Peter could have answered that question in a variety of ways. Uh, When Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter could have said a lot. But he answered, Jesus is God's Messiah. So let's think about what he didn't say. Peter did not say, well, Jesus is a good moral teacher. We would agree with that, right? We we want to follow the teachings of Jesus. When when Jesus says things like, love your neighbor as yourself, we resonate with that and say, yeah, that's the type of person I want to be. But we can't just stop there, saying Jesus is only a good teacher. No, Peter's saying, ah, there's there's more going on than just teaching. Peter did not say that Jesus is just a good example to follow. Again, I think we would agree with that. I think Jesus is the perfect example to follow in our lives. I mean, Jesus loves his enemies and encourages us to do the same. Yes, that's how we want to act. But Peter recognizes that there's more. There's more going on than Jesus just as a teacher and more going on than Jesus as just a good example. Peter says, that Jesus is God's Messiah. And this is the first time in Luke's gospel that a person recognized Jesus as the Messiah. What that term means is to say that Jesus is God in the flesh. Not just a good teacher, not just a good example, but God in the flesh. Now, the the people of God, Peter, his disciples, the other Jewish people in this time frame, they had been expecting Messiah. They had been expecting God to send someone, a representative, to come and and save them from their oppression. Because in this time in their life, Rome was 
oppressing them politically and economically. And so they did expect that, okay, God's going to send a Messiah, but the way that Jesus came was very, very different than anything that they expected. I wonder, did you notice how Jesus described his role as the Messiah? Jesus said that as Messiah, he's going to suffer. As the Messiah, he's going to die. And as the Messiah, he's going to be raised back to life. None of these things would have been at all expected from the Jewish people for their Messiah. So they're asking this question again, who is this? Well, I wonder for us, why is it important to realize that Jesus is more than just a good teacher and a good example, but that Jesus is God's very Messiah? Well, I think it's because the way that Jesus understands himself is going to profoundly affect the way that we, as his disciples, choose to follow him. Because if we are to be Jesus' disciples, if we are to follow Jesus, we need to know who it is that we are committing to following. So we are following Jesus as Messiah, who is going to suffer, die, and be raised to life. Following that sort of Messiah is going to then deeply affect and influence the way we as disciples choose to act and behave and follow. Now, that may seem a little ambiguous, which is why I think Jesus then connects this point in the very next verse. Now in chapter 9, verse 23, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily, and follow me. We now have from Jesus a description of what discipleship looks like. And I wonder if it's different from what you would answer if someone said, hey, what's it mean to follow Jesus? And we might say, well, it means that we go to church. It means that we try to pray and do the right thing. And all those things are true, but the way Jesus answers this question is very unique, isn't it? So before we get into the specifics of how he answered that question, again, let's look at what he didn't say. I mean, Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must have their life together. I'm really glad he didn't say that. No, Jesus isn't looking for perfect people to follow him. I hope that's encouraging to you. That's encouraging to me. Because perfection is not a prerequisite for discipleship. And Jesus did not say that whoever wants to follow me must be a really good person. No, how good you are is not a criteria Jesus uses to determine who gets to follow him. Really, who you are when you start following Jesus doesn't matter. It's who you become in the process of following Jesus that really matters. Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must give this percentage of their income away. No, Jesus doesn't talk about giving or finances at all here. That's all secondary to the central identity of being a disciple. Instead, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves to pick up their cross daily and follow me. Well, we 
as people who are seeking to follow Jesus, seeking to be Jesus' disciples, must then take this description very seriously. What does it mean for you to pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus? Well, to me, that means that I'm going to try to live my life in a self-sacrificial way, because that's the way I saw Jesus live his life. We all have a choice, right? And we could just live this life that we're given only for ourselves, to say, well, this is what I want. You know, these are my priorities. But, but Jesus has a bigger view than that. He broadens that view from just us to saying, well, how can I benefit this community that I live in? How can I benefit my neighbor? How can I be there for the broader world? Yes, to take up your cross daily is to live the same sort of self-sacrificial life that Jesus chose to live. That's a central aspect to what it means to follow Jesus. Because you'll find that as you follow Jesus, God's going to put people in your way that then you have the opportunity to sacrifice for, to help, to say, yes, as a Christian, as a part of my discipleship journey, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to be here for you. That's the type of people that Jesus wants us to become. So that's half of it, is taking up your cross and living that self-sacrificial life. But then the other half of it, I think, is even a little bit more challenging. When Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, well, you must deny oneself. That doesn't feel very good, does it? We don't like denying ourselves. What, what does that mean to deny oneself? Well, right off the bat, we need to recognize it doesn't mean to belittle oneself or to think negatively about yourself. No, you are created by God. God loves and adores who you are. So that's not what we mean when we say deny oneself. Instead, Jesus is speaking about a matter of priorities. You know, when I make choices in life, and we all make choices every day, I must choose God's priorities first and foremost. Even if they're different, or especially if they're conflicting from what I may have chose uh, if God wasn't in the picture. I think that's what it means to deny myself. We simply say, okay, what God wants first, and what I want second. And the hope of discipleship is eventually you merge those things so that what God wants is really what you want in your deepest heart. Jesus elaborates on this just a little bit more in our closing verse. Jesus goes on to say, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose their very self? Do you see Jesus speaking about priorities, about the type of life that you are going to live? And if we are going to be Jesus' disciples, then we're going to live a very particular type of life. So Jesus is essentially asking, what are you going to give your life to? We all get one life that we get to live, and so what will you give your life to? Well, some of us will kind of fall into just accumulating as much as we can, and that becomes our de facto what we're living our lives for. 
Or maybe we live our lives in service to others. Maybe it's to our kids or to our parents in some way, and that's good. That's helpful. Or maybe in the more negative side, like Jesus said, some will give their lives over to to gaining as much power and prestige as they can, trying to gain the whole world, even at the, the expense of themselves. Yes, we all will have to choose what are we going to give our life to. Jesus is asking us to give our lives over to following God, to sensing the Spirit at work in your heart, and then responding accordingly, to then making God's priorities your priorities. That is the call to discipleship. I wonder, does this description that Jesus gives of discipleship, does that surprise you? Does it challenge you in some way? That's okay, because we are just at the beginning of our journey. This is the first Sunday in the season of Lent as we seek to explore what it means to follow Jesus. So I encourage you, just jump in this season and embrace these challenging but beautiful scriptures that teach us how to follow God. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.